God is good. God is good. Oh, yeah, kiddos, if you're in fifth grade or below, you can head on up to Children's Church if you're visiting with us and um, you've got a kid that age and they want to go. You're welcome to go see where they're going or just send them either way. It's up to you. All right. Um, Christmas or Easter? <laughs> Still on Christmas. Easter's like two weeks away. How did that happen? What in the world? Like next Sunday is like Hosanna Sunday. It happened really fast. Okay, you have on your seats some invite cards. And there's room in the back. There's nothing written on the back. So if you meet somebody and you want to give them your contact information, you've got room to do that. Um, but it's an invite to the Good Friday service, which is April 19th, Good Friday, at 7 p.m. We do it at night because, you know, most people, unfortunately at this point in our culture, have to work at noon. So we do it at 7 p.m. that night. We do it later so you can get you know, dinner with your family or dinner um, if you need it, and then, um, well, you'll need it, and then you can go to service at 7, and it's beautiful. If you've never been to Good Friday service, I love it. This and Christmas Eve, I love the service. So um, I encourage you, bring a friend. Bring somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Say, hey, get on the Easter festivities. Come with me to Good Friday service. Now, Good Friday service is the like contemplation one. Easter is the hurrah one, but bring them to Good Friday. And then they can be rejoicing by Easter because they will have met him, which is awesome. So Good Friday, um, invite somebody. You'll be shocked at how many people who do not know Jesus um, don't even know that they're allowed to come. For real. I invite people all the time to come to church, and they say, like, well, you do, do you have to be a member? Do I call? Do I need to, like, register for, like, they don't know they can just come into a church. Not everybody knows. They can just, like, park in the parking lot and walk in. Imagine what a hurdle that would be, like, are they, do they get my name and my number, my social security number at the door? Like, what, ha- what happens in there? They don't know. Um, so invite them. And, I'm, and, and when you invite them, say, hey, I'll meet you at the door. You know, or you can come with us or, you know, help them out. Help a brother out. Because if you, you're sitting here, so you've come to church before. If you haven't, people are freaked out a little bit by it. I don't know why, because we're all so nice, but it's a little freak, you know. So come on. Come on. So there's the invite to Easter Sunday and to Good Friday, and you've only got two weeks to make it happen. And we've got tons of them, so take them. If you go through a drive-thru, which don't do that for your heart's sake, but if you do, if you do, (laughs) give them one, right? Say, come. We want you there. People don't know we want them. People don't know. And I mean, we, but really God. Come on. So we're going to let them know. So you've got those. Also, um, anybody, but especially if you're newer, you can't meet anybody on Sunday. You're looking at the back of people's heads, right? It's hard to get connected on Sunday morning, right? That's difficult. So a couple different things that I'd like you to think about, ways to connect. Number one, on Wednesdays, the first through third Wednesday of every month, we have classes upstairs. So at 5 o'clock, you can come and bring dinner and have fellowship if you want it. Um, and then at 6 o'clock, the class starts. So 6 is the start of the class. So if it's a really fast turnaround, that dinner works out really nice. If that doesn't work out for you, that's fine. Just come at 6. But we're studying the Gospel of John this month. Oh. And we only have three weeks to do it, which is like 
we could do it every Wednesday for a year and never get to the bottom of John. It's so good. So anyway, so this Wednesday, the next Wednesday, we'll finish up, and then we'll have a new class that starts every single month. The fourth Wednesday's off. So every single month, if you miss this month and you're like, this month was crazy, you know at the beginning of May there's a new class starting, no problem, on-ramp. Come on. Okay, that's Wednesdays. So that's a really good way to connect. The second way is... Um, my husband and I people over to our house and we talk through, it's called the Getting Involved class and it goes through like what we believe as a church and what we value and how to get connected and we do that based on your schedule. So once other people are interested, we start putting a class together. So we've got three or four people. Right now we're um, putting a class together around their schedule. So if you want in on it, if you want in on this one, um, let me know. My email it's everywhere on printed stuff, but it's PastorRachelRoss at gmail.com. Now you've got the inside scoop. PastorRachelRoss at gmail.com, R-A-C-H-E-L at gmail.com. Let me know, or you can call a church, or either way, let me know. And we might sneak it in like by the end of April, which would be great. Yeah. Like once you want to know, you want to know, you don't want to wait. Okay, so we're working on it. All right, we're starting in Matthew, because we're going to be in Matthew. We were in Matthew last week. For the family Sunday, the kids came up, did such a good job. All of our kids who participated, the Legos in the sand, I'm telling you what, I should have known. I should have known. It was a building or a house on sand or rock, right? So the Lego brick was represented the rock, and the magic sand represented the house on the sand. Um, but magic sand is waterproof. That was my first <laughs> problem. <laughs> and I chose Andrew Bowden's son to build it, which means did, that kid was packing that thing in. He was so careful with every scratch. Anyway, lots of fun. But we were in Matthew last week talking about building your house on sand or rock. It's a simple lesson. It feels like a kid's lesson. It's so simple. But how many of you know? At 70, you still need reminding, hey, what are you building on right now? Sand or rock? One is going to be stable, and one, everything's going to fall apart. Make a decision. You want to build something that lasts, something that matters? Man, build it on Jesus. His way. Um, okay, so we're still in Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter 7, which is part of that string of teachings on building your, your house on sand or rock. Jesus says this. By the way, the title of the sermon today is The Right Order of Things. So, it's a come to Jesus moment, right? We'll do, anyway. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide. For the many who there are many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Well, that's not super encouraging, Jesus. <laughs> that doesn't fit very well into any self-help message that I could preach? Come on. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to hell. And many choose that road. 
He says, narrow is the pathway, right? And narrow is the gate that leads to life. Now, once you pass the gate, there's this expanse of life you get to live in Christ, right? It's actually true freedom. The road to hell seems like freedom, but it's not, right? Because you're going to serve a master. You're going to serve Christ. You're going to serve God. You're going to be, right, team Jesus and live in actual freedom, right? We're not living towards sin. We're living toward righteousness, which is real freedom, or you're going to serve your flesh. And how many of you know your own flesh is a terrible master? You're a bad master. I'm a bad master. The road to hell might seem free like, I don't know, do you, do you watch any of those biographies? You know on TV there's biographies of like, there's biographies about Queen everywhere right now. And I have to tell you because my childhood, like 80s, I was like, they sang that song and that, like Queen sang everything. I did not know. I'm not recommending Queen. I'm not recommending their life. I'm just saying. Mama mia, mama. I mean, come on. It's just part of our, it's just, right? If you grew up in the 80s, that was just part of your, yeah. Da -da. Okay, anyway. You hold myself. But you watch these biographies of these people, famous people, right? People like Queen and whatever. And um, the biographies are like, if, you, if what you want in life is fame and money, then do exactly what they did. And you have 0.0000% chance of getting it. But okay, you, could, you may. If you want to have any lasting relationships, if you want anyone in the world to love you, actually love you who knows you, um, don't do it their way. I mean, every single one is this cautionary tale about how to do life really, really wrong. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Your children hate you. You're on your seventh wife, and we all know why she married you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it isn't a good life. I'm so free. Dude, no. You're like in serious bondage. That's why you're still doing drugs at 70. <laughs> One of the five who's still living. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't do drugs when you're happy. Come on, let's just be real. Wide is the highway to hell. And the people on it think, man, we're living in freedom. We're doing wrong. No, it is a lie. It's a lie. How many of you would be honest to say, hey, I used to be on that highway to hell thinking I was really free until I crashed? How many of you would just be honest? Like you had to crash. You, you saw the truth of it. That's awesome. I love it. Our boomers are so awesome in this house. They're like, yup, <laughs> yup. <laughs> Come on, why? But it's, it's a deceitful road. It feels like freedom. When you're walking up that narrow path and going to that narrow gate, you know, it can feel like, wow, dying to myself is hard. But man, once you've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, that's when freedom really starts. You walk through that gate, and now there's this huge expanse of life you can live. 
where you're walking hand in hand with a God who heals the sick and raises the dead and delivers the oppressed and you cry out to him and the, the God who spoke the universe into existence answers you and talks to you? Come on. The narrow way is the good way. I want to be really clear. Following Jesus is intentional. If you are saved, meaning Jesus has rescued you from that highway, right? He has rescued you and he's brought you into a good relationship with God. It's only happened because you've made a choice. You've decided to follow Jesus. You've repented of your sins and you've turned to him. And I want to be really, really clear on this point because I think it's really easy when life gets hard, you want to find a tribe that can bring you some comfort. And I think the church is a really good tribe because there's lots of awesome people in here. And I think that it's very easy to come in and to be like, oh, this feels good because the presence of God feels good. And you can be like, oh, I should be coming to church. I should live a better life. And so you come to church week after week, and pretty soon you're not cussing as much as you were because you're like, my tribe doesn't do that, so I think I'll stop doing that too. And, you know, they're not getting blasted on Friday, so I'll keep that on the down low for now. <laughs> and you can start to change the outward to fit your new tribe because you like these people. And you can come to church for decades that way. Getting a little better, a little better. In your own strength, living kind of righteously. Have lots of relationships and friendships. But you've never intentionally made a decision to say, Jesus, my life is yours. I have sinned. I'm in bad shape. And I need you. So I repent of my sins. And I turn to you. My life is you. I'm not just religious. I'm not just like sitting in a church thinking I'm a Christian. I am a Christ follower. I am following you. Every decision will be filtered through you and your word, right? Everything I do, your way, not my way. You are Lord. I am not. It's that intentional. If you're going to follow Jesus, that's what it looks like. That's what the decision point is made. So you have a lot of people who are religious who come to church, and they're good people. They're, they come, they're part of the Christian tribe, right? They feel like, this is my tribe, but they've never decided to follow Jesus. And let me tell you, doing righteousness in your own strength is a bummer. Because you can't. Because you can't. How many of you have tried? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, you can't. It's not possible. Paul says it this way. On my very best day, all of my righteousness is as filthy rags. What a bummer. What kind of oppression do you live under when you're trying to be good and trying to be a Christian apart from Christ? That's a bummer. Narrow way, I submit to you. Your way, not my way. I'll do it the way your word says, even when it like hurts me. How many of you know sometimes your flesh has to die? Come on. When Jesus says things like, you want to be forgiven, forgive. 
but you have no idea what they've done, right? And your flesh has to die. Jesus says hard things to people who want to follow him. It's not like people say, hey, I want to follow you, Jesus. What do I do? And he's like, oh, that's so cool. You're going to live your best life now. That is not what he's ever said. It's not what he ever said. When people come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to follow you, what does he say? Every time, read every encounter, he says things like, have you counted the cost? You want to follow me? Take up your cross and go where I'm going. In the Roman world, if you were carrying a cross, you were only doing one thing with it, dying on it. Jesus had a terrible follow-up program. <laughs> Jesus looks, well, marked a card saying they want to be saved. You want to handle it? Don't let Jesus handle it. <laughs> Jesus, I want to follow you, but there's this funeral I got to go to, and he's like, let the dead bury the dead. I'm leaving now. <gasps> Jesus. Come on. When people come to him, what does he do? He challenges them. Do you really want this? Because for your flesh to die, it's hard. But man, how many of you have walked with Jesus for long enough now? You're like, that seems so hard to, to actually say out loud, I, I need somebody besides me, right? And I, to be honest, and right, it's hard when your flesh is dying, but how many of you are living in freedom? You're like, there is nothing. How many of you would say now, like the freedom you live in? It's unbelievable. Me and Ben and Twyla are living in a freedom <laughs> that is unbelievable. <laughs> no, really. That, right? He conforms us to the image of his son, and that part hurts, but after a while, you're almost glad when he shows you something else, where he's like, hey, how about this edge? Let's, uh, you're almost thankful, because you're like, I know that edge was causing me problems, I couldn't even see it. How many people, you look at their life story, and their life story is like train wreck, train wreck, train wreck, train wreck, train wreck. And if they go to explain each one, they can tell you what everyone else's fault was in that train wreck. And it's like, dude, you are the common denominator in all the train wrecks. Maybe just say, hey, Jesus. You got something for me? Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was martyred. He and his friends were reaching an unreached people group um, in South America, and they were martyred. And Elizabeth Elliot and some of the other widows, they're ladies in their 20s with babies. They went back to that tribe. And when that tribe saw the women whose husbands they murdered come to them, they were like, well, something must be real about this. And they were willing to listen to the gospel. And the whole tribe got saved but it cost their husbands' lives. Elizabeth Elliott says this, the will of God is not something you add to your life. It's a course you choose. You either line yourself up with the Son of God or you capitulate to the principle which governs the rest of the world. The will of God is not something you add to your life. It's a course you choose. You either line yourself up with the Son of God or you capitulate to the principle which governs the rest of the world. There is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. And Jesus is worth dying for. His kingdom come. His will be done. His glory covering the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's worth dying for. 
Okay, I gotta keep moving. There's more, but I, okay, Matthew 8, 5. We're gonna keep moving. Matthew 8, 5 and following, following verses. So we follow Jesus, and Jesus gives us a mission, go make disciples. Um, I just wanna take this story from Jesus so we can see his interaction. Because really, um, in this week and next week, we need, to be on, we need to be on mission all the time, but man, people's hearts are open in these next couple weeks. Jesus is, you know what I'm saying? Everyone's talking about Jesus. It's in the air. Whether it's nice or not nice, come on, it's in the air. It's in the zeitgeist, right? Right now. And we need to be on mission. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, which is where he lived at the time, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He just... Jesus, you're tough. <laughs> then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her. Then she got up and prepared a meal for him. <laughs> Love moms. Come on. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said, he took up our sickness and removed our diseases. Okay, let me take this passage in light of this narrow gate, right? So think about this. In this house, in this church, we really are pursuing seeing Jesus do all the things he said he wants to do. We want to see his glory cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And when he said things like, hey, if you believe, for those who believe, you will heal the sick, raise the dead, deliver the oppressed in my name, go make disciples, we actually are believing he wants us to do that. We actually believe he heals the sick, raises the dead, <laughs> delivers the oppressed. Like, he seems to talk about like it's normal Christianity. Like, this is how you do the thing. And it's not because the miracles are the thing. The miracles just show an unbelieving world that God is real, and now we can point to the thing, which is Jesus. Jesus has always been the thing, not the gifts, not the signs and wonders. Those just point and give glory to God so that people can put their faith in him. Right? He's always been our portion. He has always been our reward. Him and not his stuff. Right? Okay. But how many of you know that uh, when you live among people of unbelief, which Jesus said in his own hometown, he did very little miracles, 
because they did not believe. How many of you know, like, we're so self-sufficient in America that if we're going to believe Jesus, we actually have to press through and we actually need some breakthrough sometimes to see it because we don't see it around us. Like, if you're seeing blind eyes get opened every other day, you have no problem believing that Jesus heals blind eyes. If you've never seen it, well, believing it's a little harder. Right? And so for us, we've been pursuing Jesus to believe him, really break through unbelief, because I don't know, like, I know I can believe him for some stuff. I don't know if I believe him yet for others. I, like, I give mental assent to it, but deep in my bones do I believe it? You know what I'm saying? Someone comes now, and they're like, hey, I have a, um, oh, I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen tumors disappear, like right in front of our eyes. So those I really believe much more for. If somebody came to me and said, I have AIDS, I believe God can do that. I haven't seen it yet myself. You know what I'm saying? It would be more of a stretch. How many of you are with me? When you haven't seen it, it's a stretch for you. And what we're saying is we're willing to be uncomfortable and stretch. We're willing to pray for a thousand people who don't get healed to get to the thousand and one. And that's an uncomfortable place to live in. Just being real, right? So in light of uh, we're just where we're heading and what we do, we want to make disciples and we want Jesus' glory to be seen. We want to believe that he does all the stuff he says he does, right? We're pressing in on that. I want to look at that in light of, of these scriptures, right? So you see, this, they brought sick to him all night long and he healed them, healed them all. They brought demon possessed to him all night long. He healed them all. And I want to look at these individual interactions he has. Number one, the, the official. So you've got this officer, this Roman officer, who comes to Jesus. And he's like, I have a servant. He's sick. And Jesus is like, okay. But he's like, listen, don't come to my house because I get how authority works. You have authority. And I get it because I have authority. I work under authority, and I have authority over people. So I get how authority works. You have authority. All you have to do is say it and it's done. I believe it. Because I get what authority looks like. You need to come to my house. We're not worthy to have you come. You just say it and I'll believe you. And Jesus is like, this Roman officer, I haven't found an Israelite who believes me like that. That's amazing. When we know the right order of things. When we know who we are in the scheme of things, it's very easy for us to flow with what God's doing. Right? The Roman officer, he understood Jesus' place. And he understood his place. And he understood it was his obligation to come and ask Jesus for his servant who couldn't ask for himself. Right? He understood a lot of things about his place in this story. And it flows. I've heard um, over the past few months, more and more and more, even from teachers who I, I like, um, just some really weird things that are not in the right order of things and not biblical, and in some cases, actually like heretical. And so I think sometimes the church plays with some things. Like, how does this sound, and how does this, and I always give grace. Like, somebody might say something stupid and then be like, you know what, I was kind of thinking on that and talking on that, and I was wrong, right? 
There's grace for that. But one thing I've been hearing more and more and more among circles of people who believe what we believe about miracles and pressing in is like, they're starting to press this idea of knowing your worth in God, which you have worth in God. No one else can love you like I love you, Lord, because you made me unique to worship you. But what's it rooted in? You made me to give you glory, right? You didn't make me for glory. You made me to give you glory. That's the right order of things. My worth is tied to you. When you know that you're a son or daughter of God, you know your worth, right? And what's it in? Identity that's established in him because he's God, right? So I think there's very important work that God does in under, helping us understand who we are. The Roman officer knew who he was. He understood his worth in this chain, right? And his authority to go and ask somebody with greater authority, right? But how many of you know, like, there's a line in that. So one thing I've been hearing a lot lately is people say things like, um, because you're children of God, you have the DNA of God. You have the DNA of God. How many of you heard this kind of stuff? You got God's DNA. Um, and then I've heard even more recently, same, same line of reasoning, same people, um, we are gods, not gods of the big G, gods of the small G. You have the DNA of God. You are gods of the small G. Let me tell you something. We are not God. <laughs> we are not God. And the only reason to come up with a pernicious teaching like that is to try to establish worth apart from God. Don't you know how awesome you are? You're God with a little G. No, you aren't. No, we are not. We are lumps of clay. Like, we are lumps of clay that the actual God bent down and breathed into and animated. Come on. Once we begin to find our worth and identity and just, I'm pretty awesome, apart from him, we're, listen, it goes downhill from there. It goes down hill from there. Let me tell you, think about it this way. I don't know about you, but at least once a week, I have a day where I'm like, Jesus, will I make it to the end of this one? <laughs> Just sometimes it's kids. Sometimes it's like there are problems people have I cannot solve. How many, how many of you would say, like occasionally, for me it's probably once a week, I'm like, you know, Jesus, this day? Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> I'm not just getting the passenger seat, I'm getting in the back seat. Just take it. <laughs> On that day, I need to know that God is God and I am not. <laughs> Are you with me? I have the DNA of God. So I'm God, just not as good. Like, I'm God. He's, I'm, we're the same. He's just a little better than me. Are you kidding me? On a day like that, I don't need someone who's like me but a little better. I need someone who's holy other than me. Someone who breathed into the lump of clay, who made the lump of clay. A God who does not slumber or sleep. A God who does not faint or grow weak. A God who doesn't run out of love because he is love. Right. 
He can give strength to the weak because it all resides in him. I'm not God. He, thank God he's God. Do you want to worship a God who's like, you've got the same DNA. You're just a little better at it than me. Oh, my word. The world is in so much trouble if that's true. And it won't give you more faith to believe that. Because you know you. And I know me. And I need to be able to cry out to a rock that is higher than I. Come on. We are created beings. He is the creator. There is no beginning. There is no end in him. He doesn't struggle with distraction. He doesn't say, I'm, healing, I'm saving someone every 41 seconds. Hang on. His capacity is endless because he is God. He has totally different DNA. He doesn't have DNA. He created DNA. You have to know the right order of things. You have to know the right order of things when you are in Walmart and that four-year-old child stands up in the cart and says to their mama, no, you can't tell me what to do. Let me tell you what, you don't even know those people. Every fiber in your being is like, spank it, spank it, spank it, spank it. <laughs> there is something in us, it's like that is not the right order of things. That is not the right order of things. Put it back in an order, right? Now, I'm, I'm not... I'm not saying what should happen in that situation. I'm just saying, if we're honest, what bothers us about it? It's not the right order of things. A child should not talk to its mother that way. Not the right order of things. We need to understand who we are in the order of things, and then we can flow with what he's doing. There's no confusion in that. The Roman official says, listen, I get who you are, and I get who I am. You give a command. Don't come to my house. You give a command. That's what you can do. Because I get I'm, I'm appealing to an authority that is greater than I. Right? And when you've taken your place in things, one other thing is you can, you can have joy in the works of God's hands that he's made for you. If, if we think that universe centers around us, right? I'm a little God, small g. Come on. If we start making us and our fulfillment and our whatever the center of the universe, what begins to happen? Nothing will fulfill you. It's the wrong order of things. What fulfilled Jesus? He's talking to the Samaritan woman by the well, right? The disciples going to get food. They come back. He hasn't eaten yet. He's like, I'm good. And they're like, oh, did someone bring him bread? He said, listen, doing my father's will is nourishment for me. What nourished him? When we're in the right order of things, doing God's will is nourishment. And we don't have to be big shots. You know what I'm saying? Like if he raises you up and people know your name, awesome. If no one ever knows your name and you're just doing the Jesus stuff, awesome. Because you've got the right order of things. This is a Roman 
This is a Roman official, right? This is a, this is a Roman, he's got soldiers, he's a busy guy. This is a busy guy, he's a Roman commander. What is he, what is he doing? He rides a distance from his own home to go find Jesus because he has a servant who's sick. If he didn't understand his right place in things, then he'd be like, I don't have time for this for a servant. Are you joking? Are you kidding? What if God had you minister for five years to one person? What if that was his will for you? I think some of us would be like, we'd struggle. I should be doing something bigger, more important, more seen. Wouldn't, come on, let's be honest. I would. I would have to like submit my flesh to Jesus. Come on. In the right order of things, we understand our order of things. We're like, what are you doing, Jesus? I'm happy to do it. I need to, he needs to spend his weekend finding Jesus for the servant. Happy to do it. Because he knows, Jesus, if you gave me responsibility for this thing, I'm going to do it well. I'm going to take care of this servant. And so Jesus can give you things that might seem small, and that's not defining you, right? Your identity is in him. And so I don't feel small because the task feels small. If it's something Jesus wants done, it's important. Are you with me? But when I feel like my life has to be defined by my own greatness and, right? Listen, it's I'm miserable and everyone around me is miserable. It's just not the right order of things. Are you with me? I think this season that Jesus is taking in, us into, we need to know the right order of things. And what we believe needs to come straight from the word of God. Straight from the word of God. So we're not blown by every wind. You get what I'm saying? Last thing I'll read. Last part of Matthew 8. Verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to even lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. I'm going to read one more thing. It's from Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. This is where we're at. God has been working on his understanding of how to flow with him and how to work with him. And this is where we're at. Listen, Jesus looks at this crowd and he's like, it's like sheep that have no shepherd. They're confused. They're wandering. And what does he say to the disciples? Pray for more workers. He's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, take it all. But he knows. He's here for three and a half years, and then he passes the baton to us. Pray more workers into the field, 
In Luke, he says the fields are ripe for harvest. It's not that people don't want Jesus. Many have never even heard the gospel. And this is the gospel. I'm wrecked. And God is good. And so he sent his son to do what I could not do, which was to die on a cross, which is why we sing all the blood, (laughs) to die on a cross and shed his blood for my sins and then rise again on the third day to new life, to become the firstborn of many who will rise. And so now in Christ, death is just a veil, and we pass through it into eternity. But while we're here, we are grabbing as many as we can. Phineas Breezy, who was one of the guys who established the Nazarene Church, said, we are debtors to every man to give him the gospel in the same measure in which we have received it. Out of 132 contacts Jesus had with people that are recorded in the New Testament, six were in the temple, four were in the synagogue, 122 were in public. Come on. That means great things can happen in this building, but this will not be the epicenter if we're doing it right. We, all of us, are going to take it into our spheres of influence, understanding who we are. I understand who I am and authority to you, God. I have the authority you have given. You've given every believer the king without measure. And I'm going to operate in it knowing you are my source. My identity is in you as a son, as a daughter of God. I don't have to have things reciprocated to me to love. People don't have to reciprocate love for me to love because I am tapped into you who is God and never runs out of love. I know who I am, and so not, someone not loving me back doesn't change that. I don't have to get mad and offended. I can just keep loving. I have strength when I'm tapped into you, and we can go into our spheres of influence and reveal the glory of God in whatever way he sees fit. He wants to heal the sick, raise the dead, deliver the oppressed, speak a word, an on-time word in that person's life prophetically. He wants you to buy their groceries, whatever it is. We just want to do what he's doing understanding that we have been redeemed by a great God who is greater than I. Do you stand? Worship team, if you would come. We're going to take a little bit of time to respond to the word and worship. And I want to give a really specific call. There's folks who are going to be up here in front. Prayer team, come on up. Folks are going to be up here in front who can pray for you. Folks will be in pack who can pray for you. <clears throat> but I want to I wanna give a couple of very specific calls. Number one, if you're in this room and you're like, you know what? I'm kind of I'm religious, like I believe. I don't think I've ever intentionally said, Jesus, you can have my life. I'm going to follow you. I'm laying it down. Come forgive my sins. You, you, are, you are invited today to enter in in a whole new way. And you won't believe the difference between trying to be good and then Jesus making you good, like making you a new creation, giving you a clean heart. It says the moment that we repent of our sins and make him Lord, it says the spirit of Christ comes to dwell within us. Empower. And now there is a grace to follow him. So first of all, If you need to make Jesus Lord of your life, you need to make that exchange. Come and pray with one of these folks who are here. 
love to pray for you too. There's folks in back here and folks in front here. For some of you in this room, you've been carrying the load. <laughs> you've been carrying heavy loads. You've hit breaking points. Maybe you're in the middle of some mess. And you need to be reminded, like, you're not God. He's God. Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. If that's not what it feels like, you need to come. Come and say, Jesus, teach me. Teach me how to be guided by you. Teach me how to hear you. Teach me how to follow you. Teach me how to work out of your strength. There's others here who might be sick in body and need healing. Maybe you've come with a need you'd like prayer for. Feel free to respond. But let's take some time to respond to him. Amen. Awakens, awakens, 
awakens me. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me.
shoulder person next to you or or holding hands can be a little uncomfortable but if that's good you can do that 
some point of contact, some point of appropriate. The Lord resists the proud, but he lifts up the humble. If we come humbly saying, Lord, we understand you are God. We have a need of you. <laughs> we understand there's a narrow gate leads to life. Father, if you pass through that gate, now help us run in the expanses of the life you've given. Let there be rivers of living water. For the person next to you, just pray over their week, their spheres of influence. There are people who need Jesus all around them. <laughs> Would you just pray for them to have eyes to see and ears to hear? We can just flow. We can just flow in what he's doing because he's God. We're not. We lay hands on the sick. They get healed because Jesus is worthy to heal them, not because we're worthy to heal them. Right? So we can have confidence in what we do. It's based on his righteousness and his goodness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Would you just bless them? Bless them to hear voice of God walk in his favor. Thank you, Father. And before you go, would you find someone you don't know? Would you encourage them? Would you bless them? We can't encourage enough. <laughs> Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory <laughs> forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you. If you're staying for the outreach meeting, it's a meeting in the fellowship hall right away. Outreach meeting upstairs.